Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, Blue Murder Clubbers. My name is Carrie and I am one half of the host of Blue Murder Club and today I'm accompanied by my fellow host. Lauren, ahoy there. Ahoy there. I don't know why I said that. Ship ahoy there. Yeah, ahoy hoy. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, maybe because the case we're doing today isn't pirates, but we was considering pirates, weren't ah, we? Ah, yes, it could be So that. we were a bit pirated. <laughs> yeah. We dropped it because we yeah. thought it was, it was a little bit, we couldn't, we couldn't really make it fun it was a bit boring yeah, weird that, isn't it yeah but we was like oh yeah let's do an episode about english pirates back in the golden age of pirating and then we was like is it me or is it really boring it's so boring <laughs> so boring i wanted it to be like um pirates of the caribbean it was not it was just boring so yeah. yeah we ditched that idea and we've gone for another case haven't we yeah that's what we do with our time at blue murder club <laughs> yes we do because <laughs> we met we were uh, crime obsessed yeah that's why we do the pod isn't true it? that it is true. It's true quite. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you had a good week? I've had a lovely week, thank you. Yeah, nothing out of the ordinary. How about you? Yeah, you know, the usual, ticking along, nothing major. It was fireworks night yesterday. It was. I was just going to say, we haven't been on in a while. Did you know I got to hang out with um, some really cool people the other weekend? Amy Winehouse, <laughs> Marilyn Monroe, yeah. Princess Diana. <laughs> it was awesome, to be fair. Yeah, me too. Oh, cool. Halloween party, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I think we put pitch up, didn't we? Yeah, it was uh, fun. Amy and Maui Curie. Yeah. I've got the right time because I couldn't go in the dark. <laughs> Perhaps you should have like eaten some actual plutonium. That's what I was really mm. thinking. Why the fuck did yeah. I not eat something? You're not suffering for your art enough, you know. No, I don't. I need to make it a lot more harsher. If you, if you were as eager as you once were... The breakout was real though, like mm. that glow in the dark face paint I put on. Mm. I was covered. I looked like a thirteen year old acne sufferer. Oh no. I had bolts and all, all over my face. For I, about a week. I had a bit of a um, Did you? Post party casualty. Yeah. What? Oh, made a fool of myself, Lauren. So um I smothered myself in those of Amy Winehouse tattoos and I don't know well, you did it for oh, me, didn't you? You looked the bomb diggity. I was so happy with them, but I didn't I'd forgotten you put one on my back. <laughs> so uh, so on Monday morning after the party, I took all the tattoos off, went to work, blah, blah, blah. Went to the gym, went to spin class, went onto the gym floor to do all my like, weights and whatnot. And you know when your mind wanders and suddenly I just thought, oh my God, I've still got oh, one on my back. Oh, no. And I've probably got a massive cock, cock and bollocks. <laughs> oh my goodness me, because I was only wearing a bra top. I, so I just, I just went to the, I went and had a shower and I didn't even look at me. I thought if I, if that cock and bollocks is still there, I'm gonna die. So I'd rather not know. So I just showered and hoped for the best. But the tattoo was still there, and it's glory. Oh, I'm sorry. What a plump! I oh. can't believe it. You know when something just dawns on you and you're like, you know no, hey, everyone oh must God. look at her and everything. She loves the cock. Yes, and the jizz. And the chips. Seriously, so yeah, I made a right fool of myself. But oh, brilliant! Anyway, what can you do? Oh, I love it. So, yeah, no worries. That's all right. <laughs> I'll <give> you. <laughs> oh, love ya. So, what case did we decide to come up with then? In our infinite wisdom, we well, your genius idea on the road trip we had. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you came up with we passed the farm didn't we and yeah. it was called White House Farm. <laughs> so it was like, let's do it. Yes. And we got really just about it. Couldn't believe we hadn't thought about it. It's I such know. a good case, isn't it? The case well, of Jeremy Bamba and the Bambas. Well, yeah. Mm. It is a brilliant case. And I think me and you have both discussed it. We're to and fro in the whole way through. Oh, what a whodunit. Oh. It's just so many twists and turns. Where's Agatha Christie when you need her? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Pyro. <laughs> Yeah, I know. But yeah, we're doing the case of the White House Farm murders. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a brilliant case, isn't it? It really is. Do you remember that um, dramatisation from a few I years do. ago? I do. That's how I knew the case mm. because I'd watched that. But that sh- just showed, I think, half of not a one-sided case kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it was very much like he did it. He did it, yeah. And I think that went out when he was trying to get an appeal going, yeah. process going through. So that weren't very fair on him. No. I agree. It was, um, yeah, I just think he really portrayed him because, like I said to you, I was convinced on the way down before doing research, convinced mm. he'd done it from that portraying yeah. of him. Convinced of when it. When it says based on, you think, oh, what's true and what isn't. See, Dad, I'm gullible, innit? I'm like, yeah, this definitely it happened. It seemed really, oh, excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. Oh, God, Sorry, got the sneezes. Um, oh, I have a bit, I've got a bit of a sniffle. Because um, oh. in the show, they made a big point that he killed the dog. And in all the research, I've never seen one person say that he killed the dog, have you? No, that's true. So I don't know. What happened to the dog? I've, I've, I've lost the dog. There was a dog, because the <gasps> dog is in all the evidence. But no one said about him killing a dog. I mean, I've lost might... the dog. <laughs> oh, no. So who knows how much more of that was true or false. Yeah, true. Yeah, that is true. Because I think, I don't know, because I'm quite an animal lover. Whenever there's a dog mentioned in a case, I become fixated mm-hmm. on it. I'm like... Yeah. Was the dog all right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fuck like the pile of bodies, yes. but where's the dog? I, I was just doing I'm that. Like, I still don't know, Lauren. I still don't know. Oh, what no. happened to the dog? Did we'll have to ring the, the old secretary up. Yeah, Barbara. Barbara. So anyway, listeners, Babs. this is the case of White House Farm. Lauren and I are going to go into the bit, bit, bit background and then we're going to just talk about the case and stuff like that. So um, I'm going to start talking about Sheila. She was the first one of the adopted children for the Bamba, mm-hmm. Bamba couple. So, the um, Archbishop of Canterbury's senior chaplain was a man called Reverend Canon Eric Jay. Mm-hmm. Jay's 17-year-old daughter, Christine, was sent to the West Country when it was discovered she was pregnant, where she gave birth in secret before reluctantly handing over her baby girl for adoption. Such stories were not uncommon in the 1950s, but it was the events which followed and the horrific fate that lay in wait for that baby girl, which makes this one a heartrending story. While the baby was given the name Phyllis Webb, Christine left a blank space for the father's name. And according to Sheila's own research, um, her dad was a 30-year-old dry cleaner from Putney who disappeared abroad after his relationship with Christine ended. Phyllis stayed with her mum for two weeks before going into the care of the Church of England Children's Society and being taken to Sunnyside Children's Home in Wiltshire. It was her grandfather, Dr Eric Jay, who oversaw her adoption when she was three months old. He chose the Bambas because they were deeply committed Christians and because he had crossed paths with Neville Bamba during the war when they both served in the RAF. The Bambas were landowners, farmers and they were pillars of the community and so they passed the vetting and they were allowed to adopt Phyllis. And on the 10th of October 1957, Phyllis left Sunnyside for White House Farm, which was a beautiful Georgian farmhouse near Tolls Hunt, Darcy in Essex. That would go on to be the scene of the horrific, of her horrific death 28 years later. Um, June Bamber was from a far- farming family and after she married Neville, her father offered him the Tennessee of White House Farm. Um, however, after six years of trying, they were unable to have any children, so they turned to the church to help them adopt. The Church of England Adoption Society, I think it was the biggest adoption, um, not business, adoption, but, you know, agency, adoption yeah. agency in the country. Mm-hmm. I've got that. But there were, early warning, um, there were early warning signs that all was not well. And in 1958, when um, they renamed the girl Sheila she was only a few months old June was admitted to a psychiatric hospital suffering from depression 
So maybe it was a little bit of like maybe postnatal depression. Mm -hmm. I know she didn't have her, but you can still get it, I suppose. Or, mm -hmm. But yeah, it looks like her um, mental health started to fail not long after they adopted Sheila. After failing to respond to medication or psychoanalysis, she was given electric shock therapy. When she returned home several months later, Neville hired a, na a nanny to help out. Anyway, a few years later, the couple decided to adopt again, and in 1961, they brought home six-month-old baby Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> can you picture a baby being called Jeremy? Yeah. You can? I can't imagine one called Phyllis. Phyllis, that, I was thinking that when you were or saying Sheila. it. Or Sheila. Or Sheila. Have you heard the Jamie T song? That's all I'm singing in my head. No. Sheila goes out with her mate Stella. <laughs> That's what I'm singing. <laughs> uh, so Sheila was privately educated and she was a very popular girl who made friends very easily. Although she did clash with her mum um, and as her mother's mental health deteriorated, her mum would sometimes berate her daughter and mm -hmm. the berating was had religious overtones and she'd sometimes call her the devil's child. And the family, they had aspirations for Sheila to marry well, to settle down and then to raise a family. So quite traditional kind of thing, really, mm -hmm. for that sort of class family. Yeah. Sheila was desperate to spread her wings and get away from her deeply religious family and head for London. And after leaving school at 16, she enrolled at a secretarial college in Swiss Cottage and she began modelling. In 1974, at the age of 17, she became pregnant by her boyfriend and future husband, Colin Caffell. Um, her mum and dad did not approve of their relationship as Colin was a penniless artist. <laughs> so hardly, you know, the sort of man that they had aspirations for her to marry. Mm -hmm. When her parents found out that she was pregnant out of wedlock, they did persuade her to have an abortion. And they offered to pay for a flat for the couple to live in in made a if they agreed to get married. So they did. They got married. Probably when she was, was a late teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sheila got pregnant again, but very sadly, I think about six months old, she had a at six months, she had a miscarriage. Oh. And um, I think that really was the beginning of Sheila's mental health unraveling that oh, po that no, point. No. Um, anyway, after that, Sheila did become pregnant with twins. But by now, her mental health was poor and Sheila's relationship with her mother was becoming increasingly fraught. Um, the lack of physical affection that she felt that she didn't get from June left Sheila dreaming of her real birth mother and according to Colin when he and Sheila were caught by June sunbathing naked in a field she called her the devil's child um yeah so Sheila and Colin married in May 77 so she might be not 21 2021 and um she gave birth to her twins in 1979 but the marriage to Colin broke down about five months into it because Sheila found out that he was cheating and they actually got divorced in 1982. And she was reported to have put her fist through a window when she found out about Colin and then she had a nervous breakdown. So she's definitely not right, you know. Mm. I mean, if you... I don't know. I suppose it's not normal, is it, for you to put your fist through a window no matter no. what's happened to you? think we've all been through traumatic things in our lives i've never i've never done that that's quite an extreme thing to it do is. in it really um according to her psychiatrist she was worried that her boys had the devil in them and she also confided to her psychiatrist that she was worried she may one day kill her children um in the meantime whilst her and colin remained with friends the years that followed were painful ones and she was dogged by depression and mental illness and she began undergoing treatment in 1983 because she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Anyway, when she had the boys, she became friends with a woman called Tora Tompkinson. Um, she became one of Sheila's closest friends after they got chatting outside the boys' um, preschool in North London. Uh, Tora's daughter attended and so did Sheila's twins. Tora said, we just seemed to get on well and asked her if she fancied coming back for a coffee one morning. And it just went from there. Bambi was the most wonderful, gentle, kind girl. She told me she was adopted and her adoptive mother was unkind and even cruel to her. She used every opportunity to put her down and I never understood that because mums are supposed to nurture, but she seemed jealous. Um, Bambi was the nickname that Sheila went by, or Bams. So I watched a documentary with one of her other friends and she said she just, she just referred to her as Bams mm -hmm. all the time. 
So I might just refer to it as BAMS because I quite like that name. I like all of it. I like Bambi and I like BAMS. Bambi and BAMS, yeah. yeah. Um, Tora recalls that in May 85, so this was only three months before Sheila was to meet her death, um, Sheila finally had the opportunity to meet the woman who had given birth to her. They'd been writing to each other for several years. Um, and she said, one day at the blue, Bambi asked me if she could meet her real mum at my home as she wanted me there for moral support but she wanted somewhere that was neutral and she apparently it was nice and successful they spent the night the uh. afternoon together and it was natural and they got on really well Sheila introduced Christine her birth mother to Colleen and the twins and according to Colleen Christine um it was like he described it as one of the biggest and most important events of her life and he said that um he said I will never forget the look of sheer joy on Bam's face when I first saw them together she was beaming from ear to ear with a smile I hadn't seen the like of since she gave birth to the boys <laughs> and um, he said there was an instant report between Bams and Christine and that um, she felt that Christine was everything she'd ever dreamed she'd be <laughs> oh, lovely, that's that? really cute and that she had a wonderful feeling that she at last had an identity over the years Bams would see a psychiatrist and have mental health treatment all paid for by her adoptive parents mm-hmm. so I think her adoptive parents even um, even as they get older they don't they don't they seem to be still really close you know I know they have their yeah. issues and stuff but they're extremely supportive of you their know kids what? even I've, when they're adults I find like they throw money at the situation you know rather than love but they, how do you know they don't throw love because they've said it mm. but they're over there I mean I don't know I just think if they weren't close, why would she spend the week there with the boys during the summer holidays? Mm. You wouldn't, would you? Yeah. Jeremy was there for dinner all the time. He worked with his dad. I think they were a close-knit family. Yeah. I mean, they're obviously of a generation that is, keeps a stiff upper lip, but any of their friends would have had exactly the same sort of thing. Yeah. And plus they're adopted. It's never going to be as easy as if it's natural, but... Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but... Yeah, who knows? It's all hearsay, isn't it? Everyone's got different yeah. take on it, haven't they? So the boys would alternate between living between uh, Bams, Colleen, and sometimes they'd go into respite foster care. And in August 1985, Sheila took the boys to White House Farm to help with the harvest. And that brings us basically up to the day of the crime. So you got um, a bit about Jezza? Oh, I have got... Oh, oh, I like that. Can we call him Jezza? Jezza. It's better than Jeremy because I struggle with that word. Jill. Jill. Jezza. So, yeah, it was the start of the swinging 60s, however, the sigma before of sex before marriage was still prominent. So this is where Jezza's story starts. <laughs> when Juliet Dorothy Wheeler, a daughter of a vicar, decided to go to a local dance hall where she met and fell in love with a married British army surgeon, Leslie Bryan Marsham, who was working at Buckingham Palace as an operator at the time. They started a steamy affair which led to Juliet becoming pregnant and on the 13th of uh, January 1961, Juliet gives birth to Jezza, Paul Marsham. (laughs) Living in a religious household, she couldn't possibly keep the child unmarried and so she turned to the Church of England Society, which in the 1960s was the country's largest adoption agencies and gave Jeremy up for adoption. Although the pain of giving Jeremy up, the couple stayed together with Leslie divorcing his first wife. They went on to get married and then they had two other, two more children after Jezza. I can't stop saying it now, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> and he continued to work at Buckingham Palace. So when Jeremy was six months old, he was adopted by Neville and June. And this is where he met his, uh, his sister Sheila or Bams for the first time. Materially, both children wanted for nothing, but they also had to endure strict discipline imposed by their devoutly Christian parents, especially Joan. They were a wealthy family, and the kids went to St Nicholas Primary School, and Jeremy describes that up until this point, his childhood was idyllic, although it could be solitary at the farm. A few workers from the farm said the two children didn't seem to fit in with farm life and to comply with the Bambas' family values. So from there, Jeremy went on to Malden Court, a private prep school in Norfolk. One of his friends claimed that he had been abused while at the boarding school, but it speculated on 
Jeremy. Jeremy. Jezza. Jezza. Um, yeah, he hasn't said that, so you just don't know if one person's abused, are they all abused? Do you know what I mean? Um, sorry. Jeremy left school with no qualifications, and even though that disappointed his parents, Neville paid for him to go travelling. So, as you say, they're still keeping up that. They're still supporting him. Supporting him, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really very generous of him. Both children wanted more, more to life than the farm, and they had their sights set high towards London and the party lifestyle. Jeremy first went to Australia and then on to New Zealand, where he had a scuba diving course booked. And this is where he met a friend called Brett, and they would go out partying together in the nights. Brett said Jeremy didn't want to end up going on the diving course. Instead, he had met a drug dealer at a nightclub and gave him five grand cash to invest into drugs over it. Mm. But it all went belly up and he lost all of his holiday money and that was the money Neville had gave him. So this has been speculated and said, but mm. I don't know if it's backed up enough, but he it's claimed that he committed armed robbery in a jeweller's for two expensive watches at that time uh, in New Zealand. And he abruptly left back when he got a bit hot to the UK where he gifted his girlfriend at the time one of those watches. So he goes back to the UK and um, I've written about basically what you've just said. As um, Bambi got in touch with her bio mum, she met up with her and it went well. So it gave Jeremy the um, same confidence to do it with his parents. So he's reached out to Julia and Leslie and it didn't go so well. So he must have felt really rejected. And I think he starts to act up at this point. So he had no interest in his father's business. He hated the farm and the farming world and instead drifted towards a series of jobs. And one was in the, a little chef on the A12. I've been to that little chef. Mm. Have you? Driven past it. I've not stopped in there. Yeah. So he was, however, extremely flamboyant and used the affluent background as means to impress women with a playboy image. He honed to perfection. He loved to impress women and was a fuckboy after it. <laughs> What's that? So it's a bit of a player. Yeah. Like fucks about a bit. <laughs> so in 1983, Jeremy met Julie Mudford at a diner-themed restaurant called Sloppy Joe's in Colchester. And it was on the Colchester High Street. They dated for a while and Julie was besotted by him. She thought they were going to get married as he often said this to her. But I think he's all talk, no trousers, you know? Mm. So their relationship was full on and they parted together, took drugs together and was highly sexual relationship. And after a while, Bamber lived with his student teacher girlfriend, Julie. They shared a rent-free chocolate box cottage. I loved that term when I heard it. Because mm. it is, it's a chocolate box cottage. Provided by his parents at Goldhanger, a few miles away from the main farmhouse. And Neville went also bought him a car, a white Vauxhall Corsa. <clears throat> Neville offered Bamber a job on the farm, paying him £170 a week. And it was certainly not the glamorous position that the young man was desperate for. And even his request to run the caravan site by the family was dismissed, as Neville believed his son had no business sense. So he just wanted to be higher up all the time. Bamber hated the farm and his father's will cut him off unless his name's a farmer. He wanted the life of a playboy and he was determined to live by it at any cost. He also despised his stepmother, Joan, for preaching religion on him and he had never forgotten both parents for sending him away to public school. He was sleeping around behind Julie's back whenever he went to stay in London with his sister. So two weeks before the murders, he convinces Julie Mudford to help trash and rob the OC, OC Road Caravan Park, which their family owned, and they stole £980. The manager of the caravan park, James Carr, claimed that he was growing up to be quite a nasty piece of work. Even at a young age, he would tell me I was just an employee. Jeremy and James' son grew up in the same village and he recalled that we all knew him to be off, quite off, be often cruel to small defensive animals and he would take great delight in throwing stones at chicks and hitting the farm animals with sticks. <clears throat> Jeremy joined Sheila and the twins at the farm the day that of the murders 
and he goes out hunting in the hunting in the afternoon. When he comes back from the farm, he leaves Neville's gun, a .22 rifle, on the table in the kitchen with some of the ammo and magazines, and then he goes back to his home. And then that's where we leave the family at mm. White House Farm. He's back at his chocolate box cottage. <laughs> Over to you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Right, yeah, so on the evening of the 6th of August, which was a Tuesday, Jeremy joined the family at the farmhouse for dinner and was witnessed leaving at 9.30 that evening. Um... I was going to say, sorry, I missed a, missed a sentence. Over the over the three days preceding that, so she was there for three days with the boys, workers on the farm would say Sheila appeared to be happy and normal with the boys. So there was literally no red flags at all that she was upset or anything. Mm-hmm. Everything seemed to be pretty fine. Um, <clears throat> Jeremy did say that his mum and dad had mentioned to Sheila about putting the boys into foster care. Mm-hmm. Um, during the family meal and Barbara who was the secretary for the family said that she had called about 9.30 and Neville were given her quite short shrift which wasn't like him usually he was described as very even tempered so she felt that um, she'd called in the middle of a row but again that's just hearsay Mm -hmm. it's just a presumption on uh, Barbara's behalf so uh, 3.36 on the morning of the 7th of August Jeremy was awoken by a phone call from his father, Neville, who said that Sheila had gone mad with a a shotgun and to come and help as quickly as he could. Jeremy put the phone down and he phoned up Julie and told her, my dad's just rung, I don't know what's going on, something's something's sort of like going on. Then he put the phone down and he phoned the police, he phoned um, Chelmsford Police, I think, Mm -hmm. like the local police. He didn't call 999 for some reason, but he phoned the local police station. Can and I just um, butt in a second? Mm. This is one confusing bit to me. If you pick up a phone, 999 is always quicker. Mm. Who has the time to look for the local police station number? Yeah, I don't know. He just said he didn't think it would make a difference. They so. didn't have Google in them days, did they? No, I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? Because obviously everyone knows 999. Yeah. I don't know why you'd bother going to the like yeah, direct, the directory and looking it up. Yeah. But, yeah, but I don't know. Perhaps country folk just have it pinned next to the phone. Could be. Just don't know, yeah. Saved on speed, though. Who knows? Anyway, so... Um, so, Jeremy found... All right, he found the police, and they drove over to the farm from his house, which was about three miles away. As he drove to White House Farm from his house, the police car overtook him, and they met outside on the drive of White House Farm. So, they waited for the armed 
response team to come at, f- and they arrived about five o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. But no one went inside till about half past seven. They were waiting for the sun to come up. Um, and in the meantime, Jeremy sketched out maps of what it was like inside the farm for the police so they could see like the layout of the farm, any places where Sheila could potentially be like hiding and stuff like that if she was still armed and dangerous kind of thing. Um, so one one of the police and Jeremy strolled around the perimeter of the farm um, and they noticed that all of the windows were closed apart from one that the master bedroom, the window was open, but all the other windows were shut. And the policeman said as he was walking around, he thought he saw someone moving inside. Mm-hmm. But then he said that um, when he walked back to check it, he realised it was just the reflection of the moon. Right. I'll get that. Isn't the sun up at 5am? Mm. I don't know. This whole thing confuses me more than anything else, is that why they didn't go in. Yeah. It's really strange. I get they're waiting for armed response because the normal police don't carry guns and Uh if there's somebody shooting, but um, I don't know why they they waited so long to go in. Who knows? And in the meantime, they were trying to communicate with Sheila through the, like, with a megaphone. Mm. But all they heard was the dog barking inside. Oh, the dog's alive? Yeah, the dog's alive. Hey! So... Eventually, they go inside about half seven in the morning. They break in because the door's locked. And they discover that Neville has been badly beaten. His jaw's broken. He's got numerous um, wounds and stuff all over him. He's got black eyes, a broken nose. There's linear bruising on him, which would indicate he's been beaten with the rifle. Um, He's got three burn marks, circular burn marks on his back. And he's been shot eight times. Fucking hell. He's been shot, I think, five times upstairs and three times downstairs, and he's found in the ki- on the kitchen floor dead. Um, it says there's bruising to his left wrist, forearm, three circular burn marks to the back. And, um, yeah, so the linear marks were consistent with Mr. Bamba being struck with a long, blunt object, possibly the gun. <sighs> so they progress through the house, and they find Joan. She's upstairs in the um, master bedroom on the floor near the doorway. She's been shot seven times During the night, three of the wounds were to her face. Um, The boys, tragically, the two little six-year-olds, they had been shot while they were asleep, again at close range. Daniel had five um, shots to the head and Nicholas had three to the head. Um, And then finally, Sheila was found dead in the master bedroom on the other side of the bed. She's lying on her back with the shotgun on her stomach, pointing at the two wounds that are sort of like through her neck Mm -hmm. that went into her brain. Um... So when this was discovered, Jeremy was so distraught, he he started to, like, he broke down and he was actually gagging. He was really in a state when the oh doctor God. came and found, found out and told him what happened. Um, so it looked like a quite a clear case of, of murder-suicide. Um, while he was chatting to the police outside, the policeman said to him, what, what do you think is going on in there? Mm-hmm. And um, Jeremy said... Oh, yeah, like he, I think the policeman said, do you think Sheila would do it? And he said, yes, she's a nutter. She's yeah. um, she's had treatment. Outside. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they took, the senior crime officers took around about 200 forensic photographs yeah. of the scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, important evidence was mishandled, including a Bible that was found tucked underneath Sheila's body, which could possibly have contained a suicide note. It's just crazy to think, isn't it? Mm. So, later on that morning, upon hearing that something isn't right at White House Farm, the nephew of Neville and Joan calls, and his name, uh, he's called David. Sorry, my computer's mm-hmm. name changed it. Yeah, he goes rushing down to see what's happening and was stopped by the police. There were journalists there as well as a helicopter, and he was refused access to the home. So, he met the rest of the family at Jeremy's Cottage in Goldhanger Village. It appeared that Essex police had started a fire with a bloody mattress and the bloody carpet being thrown onto the pit, along with other evidence. God knows why I've read it. Just that, that bit infuriates me. So they really just start hacking at all the... Because they think it's a murder-suicide, I think they think case closed. That's what I think. The police even asked Jeremy what they could destroy. They suspected at the time... 
Oh, sorry, that's what I've read, that it was murdered or suicide by Sheila and they wouldn't need to preserve the scene. There was over 150 people that had walked away over the house, destroying all evidence in their wake. After three days had passed and the police had everything they needed, the family was allowed back into White House Farm. So the cousin David goes in, um, looks into the understairs cupboard mm. and find a silencer... I've put forward slash because my husband told me off it's a suppressor. It's, it's described as a suppressor yeah. in the court notes, but yeah. people know it's a silencer. Yeah, don't they? I it's thought the it same, was a, yeah. it's the same thing. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the You screw it on me. the end of a rifle. Yeah, it dulls makes the noise. it go quiet. Mm. Yeah. So he told his other cousin Anne not to touch it as it was sticky. It had red paint on it and a drop of blood. They sent it straight to the Essex police. And as they started to suspect Jeremy, their gut was telling them something wasn't right about him. The police weren't having none of it. They said um, they were so set on the murder-suicide. And I think, because they've done all that with the evidence, they're like, fuck, what do we do? No, it's murder-suicide, that they couldn't be swayed. So uh, Cousin Anne also heard Jeremy tell the police of what a loving relationship he had with his parents. She knew this was a lie and told them so. So a week before the funeral... The friend of Jeremy met in New Zealand. Remember, Brett? He flies in from Greece to support his friend. Brett tells him to get smart-looking suit and to make himself look paler and to look sad so everyone could see how grieving he was. Now, I think that's really odd to admit to that. Why would you admit to that if nothing's quite right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I think Brett knows a bit more than he led you on to believe, you know? They had such a strong and close friendship that Jeremy's girlfriend, Julie, started seething with jealousy. She wants to tell him to always, she wants him all to herself and Brett is getting in the way of the relationship. But she holds on to what she can and at the ceremony for Neville, June and Sheila, she is seen to be holding Jeremy up and consoling him while he's seeing, crying and nearly falling over with his grief. This is at the church service where it's taking place, where the TV crew are watching on, as are the police. However, there is a private cremation um, for the three at another location 10 miles away after the church ceremony. As soon as Jeremy exits the car to the creme, he's completely a different person, all smiles and light. The family remark on the difference and in the wake and at the wake, Anne hears him say to Julie, let's get this over with then and have some fun. So completely contrasting, like he looks so bad, doesn't he, at that church service? Yeah, he's upset. He's really, he really looks devastated, doesn't he? So a few weeks after this, Jeremy starts to push Julie away and Brett and Jeremy go to White House Farm and start to take it apart piece by piece and sell everything from the silver to the paintings. They were partying and spending all the money. Julie is at her limit. She is overbearing and she's so jealous of Brett. And I think she just loved Jeremy so much more than he did her. And she's clutched to him. You know what I mean? Or trying to clutch to him. She can feel the distance between them. And her imaginary wedding day is getting further and further away. One day she calls the house they share. And a woman answers. She goes mad. So he just ends things with her. She's too much trouble. He's, she's too overbearing. He gets rid of her. And this is his undoing. As she goes to the police telling them to start a new inquiry on White House murders. <clears throat> excuse me Jeremy is seen to be uh, she said Jeremy had been planning on hiring a hitman for £2,000 to kill his family so he could get his hands on the inheritance money that he hated his family and she does convince him he had means and he had motives I'm sure she'll put Brett in the mix too because she was a bit jealous of their relationship as both Jeremy and Brett were arrested in September However, all Brett had to do was show him his passport to show that he was in Greece at the time of the murders and he was released. So Jeremy was held for robbery of the caravan park. Do you remember what I said before that they took the £980 and holding cannabis? And the police asked the judge for extra holding time while they investigated the murders, but the judge instead put Jeremy on bail while the Essex police investigated. So... While he was on bail, Jeremy and Brett took off to Central Pay while waiting for a call back. The police start to re-examine all of the photos and evidence and the suppressor (laughs) that the cousins had found. It was then believed to be on the gun at the time of the shooting. And if it was on the gun, how could Sheila have used it to kill herself? 
question mark. Jeremy came back to the UK and while he was read his charges, he was smiling and he was a bit smug at that time. Mm. So over to you. <clears throat> yes, obviously they, they've got Julie's testimony. Mm -hmm. They've got the suppressor. Because they charge him. Yeah. And um, thing is, I've got some bits and pieces about Julie and I'm not convinced about how reliable a witness she is. I mean, I've watched a documentary where the um, senior investigating officer in this case says she was a very credible witness and mm -hmm. she must have been. And at the trial, I think the judge is summing up, he said something like, to the jury, you either believe Julie or you believe Jeremy because they can't both be telling the truth. Yeah. So she must have come across more credible. More convincing, yeah. So, yeah. I just get jilted lover, revenge from her. I just, yeah, I don't trust her as far as I can throw her. So she went to the police and she completely threw him under the bus. Mm -hmm. And I... I don't know whether what she said was true or not because it took her a month to do it. Yeah. And it weren't until we dumped her that she did it. Yeah. So um, I do wonder about her, to be honest. She said that um, he told her he'd planned to kill his family and he asked Julie to get some sedatives to, from her doctor to tell her doctor that she was struggling to sleep and that she wanted some sedatives so that he could then drug the family one evening and then go back and set fire to mm -hmm. the farmhouse. Julie did that. She went to the doctor. She got the sedatives, knowing damn well what he was going to do. But then um, he had a rethink and decided that he didn't want to do the crime in this fashion because he didn't want to burn any of the valuables because he wanted to like, obviously the sell them, keep the money. Um, so, so yeah, then she's completely thrown him under the bus. She said that he told her that he'd done it and... Um, there was there was a thing about the phone call. So she said that um, it. I think he said he'd called her straight after Neville called her. Mm -hmm. But um, according to her flatmates, because she lived like in a shared house with some other women, they all put the time closer to two o'clock in the morning. Oh, really? Yes, because obviously the phone ringing in a in a shared home would wake. Yeah, the old landlines were bloody loud. Oh, I? yes. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of the women said it was closer to 2 than 3.30. So, if that's yeah. true, he definitely, definitely did it. Yeah. But who knows, it's all hearsay. Um, so, in the meantime, the News of the World, our favourite publication. Arseholes. Um, they were absolutely on a mission to get Julie's story. Obviously, by now, she's quite famous because he's draped himself all over her at the funeral. Mm hmm and now she's the star witness for the prosecution. Anyway, they paid her 25 grand for her story, and it's never been established at what point they offered her that money, so they could have offered it to her before she'd been dumped. <laughs> yeah. Easily. Um, so once her relationship had broken down, along with the promise of the gains, because obviously she knows that he's going to inherit everything a shit ton of money mm -hmm. then once he dumps her she's not going to get her hands on it so she's like oh hang on i'm going to get all this money from the news of the world yeah. she's got a huge motive there to tell lies about jeremy if she wants to yeah. and um let me see what was the next bit so yeah julie had had some charges some pending charges against her for fraud i think she's done on somebody's checkbook so she had that hanging over her I think maybe she'd been caught a little bit of possession, cannabis. Mm -hmm. Plus, she was an accomplice to the robbery at the caravan park. Yeah. So, if she agreed to testify, all of those charges were dropped against her. So, she had quite a lot. Yes, yeah, she did. I think she had two really solid motives there. Money and, you know, not getting charged for her crimes. And I think a really big one was that he spurned her. Yeah. And she's turned... Because um, I watched a documentary where Jeremy was discussing what happened with Julie and how it all went so wrong and and he said he believes that she wanted to first her motive was she wanted to get him in the shit but it snowballed so much she didn't know how to stop it yeah she had to carry on yeah which rings true to me but yeah 100%. also I do think he done it so I don't know who I to know. believe um so yeah I do think I can 100% see that happening thinking oh, I'll fucking show you I'm gonna go and tell the police oh, this massive load of bollocks which I've made up and they've bought it 
and then they've arrested him and then they've charged him and then they've gone to trial. I mean, at what point do you go, oh, sorry, yeah. I was lying, yeah. sorry. I was uh, just scorned, yeah. So, yeah, it does ring true, but also I think he probably done it. He <laughs> had a lot, he had a lot to, um, he had a lot of motive. Money, yeah. money was his main motive. I think they said the estate was worth around about half a million pounds in mm-hmm. 1985, which I put into a... Um, Bank of England mm-hmm. <laughs> um, calculator. I mean, it said that's about 1.5 million these days. But to be honest, I think being, being as property's gone up so much since, it's probably worth more. I yeah. think it's worth more. But back then it was worth about 1.5 million, which wow. is a, a ton of money. It is. Yeah. And um, I think that I read as well somewhere that uh, Neville Bamba had put into his will that Jeremy wouldn't inherit unless he took over the farm. Yeah. So if he didn't take over the farm he wouldn't get his inheritance and jeremy wasn't that keen a farmer no he hated it well he did work on the farm i don't know if he hated it <laughs> why, why do you think he hated it i've got it i've written all this down <laughs> i know you've written it down but who yeah. told you he hated it i just what i found he just because yeah. jeremy didn't say he hated it okay. but obviously he would yeah. say that yeah it's probably it could be other people saying that yeah. um obviously. it is literally this case it's constantly tw- he said yeah. she said constantly it is but i'm gonna go by the horse's mouth and jeremy just said he used to work with his dad on the farm and stuff like that so he um yeah that's what he said from prison 30 years later so who knows at the time he probably didn't enjoy it very much but who knows i just don't like it i know you're not the same as me but that's why this podcast is so good because we have different (laughs) opinions you know if everyone agrees it would be a boring world yeah I don't like people putting words into other people's mouth. So when I'm doing research, mm-hmm. if I can get somebody actually being interviewed and listen to their words, I'll use that other than, well, I thought this about him and I thought mm-hmm. that about him because mm-hmm. I just think that's conjecture. Um, people think things about me which I don't think are true and things about you I which I know what you're saying, yes. but if you got Ted Bundy interviewed... Yeah. He would charm the socks off of you and you would eat everything he had to say up mm. and every bit of it would be a lie because he was that convincing. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know about the Bundy thing, but this fella, yeah, I'm just going to go off what he says. When people say things about other people, I just tend, tend not to take it as gospel. I know what you mean. but I take I, it with a pinch they, of salt. Like, I think the convicted criminals always have a reason to lie. Yeah, yeah, of course he has. But so do the others. Yeah. So those cousins, David Balfour, mm-hmm. he uh, he was a tenant on the farm. Mm-hmm. Along with, I think, is his sister Anne? Mm-hmm. And they are um, the relatives from June's side of the family. So they've they've just farming stock, you know. They've got yeah. it in their blood. So I, I don't think they liked Jeremy and Sheila very much because they're not like them, are they? They're from no. a different stock. Um. Yeah, so he found the silencer. Mm-hmm. And in 1985, there wasn't DNA testing. They could only test for blood type. So they found blood type A inside the barrel of the gun. Mm-hmm. And there was also apparently a grey hair stuck to it, but that got lost, that hair, which is just absolutely terrible. I don't know. Never annoying. I mean, how can you lose something like that? God knows. But no. um, So, yeah, Sheila had type A, so that's why they thought it was Sheila's blood. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When DNA arrives, there's no blood left to swab. 
because it's been swabbed so much. Oh, God. So they can't check whose blood it actually is. And it's been handled so many times. Yeah. Yeah. So at the judge's summing up, it was seen that he was heavily biased against Jeremy when he's supposed to be impartial. Mm-hmm. So I read somewhere that um, it's quite a gamble for a judge to put their opinion in their summing up because sometimes the jury will be like, I'm not going to listen to you. You know, yeah. what are you doing trying to trying to sway me? Shut up. I'm going to let him walk. I'm going to quit him just because of that. But it didn't. So he was saying things like, um, it was very much against Jeremy. There was not anything really in his summing up that would make you think the judge believed Sheila did it. Yeah. Anybody listening to someone up would think, oh, well, the judge thinks it was Jeremy. Yeah. Which is not the way it should go. No, because he's, they, even if the judge is telling you something, I would be inclined to believe it as well. I don't know. I've never done jury service. I do want... I'm so flaky. I'm such like a... Dawn <laughs> said I'm a flip-flop. <laughs> one minute I think this, one minute I think yeah. that. But yeah, so um, once, once the trial was over and everything obviously we've got julie mugford as the star witness Mm -hmm. and apparently she was brilliant under cross-examination she never faltered and then they've got the thing with the silencer they said if the silencer has got shiva's blood inside Mm -hmm. it then once you add the length of the silencer to the length of the rifle her arms wouldn't have been long enough for her to have shot herself yeah they've 10 out of 12 jurors found him guilty and he got 25 years in prison for the murders so like we were talking about earlier if one more of the jurors had found him innocent he would have walked wouldn't yeah. they that, and that's quite frustrating as well mm. and also the the silencer wasn't even found by the police so the whole like chain of evidence was compromised from the off because mm-hmm. um, nowadays that wouldn't even have been admitted yeah well they had three whole days I think it was in the property before anyone else was allowed in mm. why didn't they find it yeah, I don't know. It's weird because it was in the gun cupboard. Yeah. But I did read today actually that um, the gun cupboard had loads of other, loads of like guns and weapons and stuff in it, and they probably thought, well, it's irrelevant. Yeah. It's nothing. To, we we know what gun was used because it's on top of Sheila. Yeah. yeah. So that could be why. Yeah. Um. Apparently, Neville was like really meticulous with his guns. As soon as once he'd used them, he cleaned them and put them back mm-hmm. in correctly and things like that. He'd only bought that gun the November before. He hadn't even had it very long. But um, Jeremy had been using it to shoot rabbits and stuff like that. So I think if you grow up in a farming family, you're quite used to guns being around and stuff. Yeah. It's not unusual. Yeah. And that was long before Dunblane, so we didn't have the tighter gun laws and yeah. stuff anyway. But um, They were just kept in like gun cabinets, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But Jeremy, the night of the um, crime, he th- he had taken the gun out and loaded a magazine. I think each magazine took 25 bullets or something like Mm -hmm. that i'm not sure but um yeah he'd loaded it and left the ammunition out and stuff so if she let's say at devil's advocate sheila did actually snap Mm -hmm. at the thought of losing her kids and decided to go on a rampage the gun was right there to hand she didn't even have to get it out of the gun cupboard it was right there on the side it was he said he'd left it in the scullery (laughs) I like that. Such a cool word. Scullery. Scullery. Scullery, yeah. Like scullery made. Yes, exactly. Yes. It's a wash, washing up room, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, yeah, he said he left it on the, he called it the settle in the scullery. I thought, oh, that's two words you don't hear every no, day. No, I thought that. <laughs> but I suppose if you live in a 400 year, year old farmhouse, you do have, you know, rooms that are called sculleries. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, there was a bit of a hearsay, a few conspiracies and stuff, wasn't there? So, oh, I love a conspiracy. Yeah. I think in the first. In the first documentation of the first responders, someone said that they walked into the kitchen and they found the body of a man and the body of a woman. Mm-hmm. And then they went upstairs and they found the two little boys and then they found two more women. So you're like, what the hell? How is that possible? How is there... Who's the other woman in yeah. the kitchen? So went back downstairs, there's just the man in the kitchen, Neville. So the conspiracy goes that when they broke in, Sheila had already shot herself in the face, but mm-hmm. it wasn't fatal and she'd gone downstairs... And then as they've broken in, they've caused such a noise that it's woken her up. And she's gone upstairs, laid down and shot herself. Yeah. Written the suicide note, stuck it in the Bible. I think they'd burnt the Bible, didn't they, with yeah, all the other stuff? Yeah, with all the other stuff. <laughs> Let's just have a bonfire. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then she's, yeah, done, done the last one. Because um, I listened to a podcast. We both listened to it, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, Generation Y podcast. And they both 
because they're Americans, they're much more familiar with guns than what we are over yeah. here. And they said the rifles don't really make much noise when yeah. you when you take when you set them off. Then it's like this, yeah, clapping of a hand. That's the noise it makes. So you wouldn't and even need a silencer. I reckon as well, with all the commotion of everyone finding these bodies and like boots on the floor yeah, and all that, it'd be so could, noisy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There'd be people coming in, bursting mm-hmm. in, loads of firearms shouting yeah. and screaming. You wouldn't hear no. that in the middle of it, would you? No. And um, and they also said that there's very little recoil because a lot of people have been making making a big deal about the fact that Sheila wasn't very gun savvy, but mm-hmm. you don't need to be with that sort of firearm. You yeah, can pick it up, point it, and you can use it. It's really dead easy. And that's what they said. It was all done at point blank range as yeah. well, so it ain't like you're eyeing up a target. Like no. You can literally just hold it to someone and just and shoot. And yeah. it goes in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And the bullets are so tiny mm-hmm. that you can shoot yourself and still walk yeah. around. Well, they say, like, Neville, wasn't it, he was the one to calm her over her manic episodes. Yeah. So that's most probably why he was downstairs with Sheila, if this mm. is the case. Yeah. He was trying to calm her, and he was the first one to mm. be kind of... Well, she shot him upstairs first. Ah. And then he came downstairs, and he was fatally shot in ah, the kitchen. Okay. So it started upstairs, came down, and she's gone back up, or Jeremy's gone back up. One of them's gone back and up. And done the others, which does make you think it is a quiet gun because they'd have woken up wouldn't they yeah especially exactly. june but then june was out of bed when her body was found yes she was beside the bed wouldn't yeah, she yeah she was on the floor sort of on the threshold of the bedroom door so maybe she came to the top of the stairs and maybe ran back on yeah who knows Jeez. who knows it is a funny one but i think the prosecution because um i think it was proved that jeremy hadn't got back in his car that night i don't mm-hmm. know how they proved it but they knew that he hadn't got back in his car that night so they the prosecution presumed that he'd taken a push bike, cycled the three miles yeah. back to White House Farm, committed the crime, climbed in and out of the farm through a, a loose window that mm-hmm. he knew was loose, mm-hmm. phoned his own house, left the phone off the hook and then cycled home and then raised the alarm. I just don't believe it. I, I just don't, don't know. It sounds so far-fetched, but it yeah. could happen. It but then could. What happened with Sheila? It could happen. Yeah. I mean... um. Neville walked down the stairs with four bullets in him. Yeah, yeah. She could have gone downstairs with one in her. And they said they're tiny bullets, didn't they? They're yeah, they're really Generation little. one, yeah, they're yeah. really little bullets. Point, point 22s. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he's definitely one of those cases where you think, oh, yeah. proper flip-flop. <laughs> Constantly. Uh, this has really got me, this case, because I'm going back and forth, back mm. and forth. Oh, sorry, excuse me. Over and over again. Yeah, so I've got some aftermath if you want to hear it, if you've got yeah. some more. Yeah, so, go on, what's your aftermath? Jeremy has always denied his part in the murder and he states that it was his sister. He took and passed the lie detector test in 2011 and there's so many arguments, as we were saying, on both sides. I also found an interview by Jeremy's biological dad, Leslie, and this is what he said. And I don't, I don't like this bit, but hey. It was traumatic when we had to hand him over as a baby, I'm when we went to bed, he went to lovely people who looked after him and gave him the best start in life and he abused them. He's a murderer. It's well proven. He's guilty as hell. Most murderers complain to the bitter end they never did it. We had no part in his upbringing whatsoever, so he's wiping his hands completely clean, you know. I don't know and I don't wish to know whether he is our child or not. He has ruined our lives. He's a horrible man. Despite never knowing his real parents properly, Bamber has always said that he held him in affection. But with his real father insisting that Jeremy was nothing to do with him or either his wife, he added, we told his probation officer we wanted nothing to do with him. There's not going to be any reuniting. We have perfectly nice children and we've uh, been who have also been greatly affected by this. So that, I hate that. Because that's just more rejection, isn't it? If that's the trigger for Jeremy, the rejection of his family, that's even worse. So he's been told by each Home Secretary since his conviction that he will never gain his freedom through parole. Even though Jeremy has always pleaded his innocence, he has seen two appeals against his convictions rejected. In July 2001, a team of police officers was given four months to complete a fresh inquiry to the case. It was referred back to the Court of Appeal by the Criminal Case Review Commission, which investigates police possible miscarriages of justice. In 2002, Bember 
angered his relatives when he offered one million as a reward for any information that was help squash his conviction. In December 2002, he lost his appeal against his conviction and also lost a high court case regarding a claim for £1.27 million from his grandmother's will that he thought he was entitled to. Well, yeah, a lot of it was like backed up with oh, rent from yeah. the tenants and stuff as well. Yeah. In 2004, Bamba was attacked by a fellow prisoner with a knife while talking on the phone and he needed 20 stitches in his neck. Was it a shiv? Yeah. We know the I was thinking about old um, Spoonie Spoons, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Spoons. With his shiv. Spoon, yeah. So in 2004 and 2009, yeah, he's in um, Monster Mansion as well, when he's in Wakefield. Yeah. In 2004 and 2009, Bamba's defence team submitted what they claimed new evidence to the CCRC, including a report of photographic expert. This is of Sheila's foot, I think. Mm-hmm. In, however, in February 2011, saw the CCRC provisionally reject the latest submissions. In 2021, he loses another appeal for a category change in prison. So he wanted to go from a category A prisoner to a category B prisoner. Brie? Brie. <laughs> was it cheesy? Yeah, it was very... <laughs> it ain't easy being this cheesy. In 2023, the now independent office for police conduct, the IOPC, I've heard that quite a lot, I didn't know that was that, has ruled against the force that has secured his conviction. It concluded that Essex Police breached its statutory duty by not referring 29 serious complaints to the IOPC about how senior officers handled the case, which we've been saying it was completely mishandled. Yeah. Um, the complaint contained 29 allegations, so this is this year, including that officers lied about evidence, altered witnesses' statements, passed evidence to a third party, withheld and concealed evidence and tampered with a crime scene. The investigation into White House farm murders in 1985. So that sounds promising to me because that's what we've just stated. All the fuckery they've done. (laughs) So we don't know what's truth. We don't know what's conjecture. We don't know none of it because the police has tampered with it so badly. Well, they've also incinerated a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think 10 years into his conviction, he had his first appeal and they, like his defence team mm-hmm. and himself applied for loads of documents and stuff mm-hmm. and was told that it had all been incinerated. So I thought that sounded fishy, but also I thought maybe that's standard processes. Yeah. So I looked it up. No, they're meant to hang on to it for 30 years. Someone's hiding something. So why did they get rid of it after 10? It's very strange. Someone's hiding something big time. Big time. Barbara Wilson said something, though, which... Do you know, I do think the knives were out for Jeremy. I don't know whether he completely deserves it, because I don't know him. Oh, babes. But Barbara, she disclosed that Neville had confided in her that he was worried about what would happen to the farm if he died, and he felt that it was possible that he could one day be shot and killed by Jeremy in a shooting accident. Wow. So if that's true, that's... Very telling. Yeah. That Neville didn't trust Jeremy and was suspicious that he yeah. might that he might do something. Uh yeah, like I say, the cousins have not got a good word to say about him. They Mm-mm. hate his guts, actually. Yeah. But then since then they like Jeremy fully intended if he had inherited that he was going to sell the farm at the earliest opportunity, so they would have lost their homes, their livelihoods and everything. Everything. So, so they again had motive. they all had a really good yeah. motive. Um they were all there when this uh, silencer was found. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was forensically examined because how could it be when there's just members of the general public finding it and then, you know, yeah. not preserving it? They should have seen it and then called the police straight away. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't have touched it. They shouldn't have picked it up. No. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. It's madness. Absolutely mm. madness. Yeah. So like you say, he's had a couple of unsuccessful appeals, but he keeps trying. There is... Um, He's got quite a lot of... He's got about a 1,000 followers on his Facebook group, which is like a Jeremy Bamber Facebook group, and they're all like the armchair detectives. They're all trying to find stuff out for him and trying to help Mm -hmm. him because they don't believe that he's guilty. Yeah. I... Like I say, I flip-flop all over the place, but I don't think that he was convicted on strong enough evidence. Yeah. I think it's weird that they can't do another trial, like do a retrial... I suppose they can't without fresh evidence and they, and they can't the provide fresh evidence because they, they keep fucking setting fire to it. <laughs> he must, I mean, Sorry. can you imagine if this geezer is innocent, how 
how upset and frustrating it must be. It's awful, isn't it? Yeah, it's really bad. Really, really bad. Yeah, because he's been given a whole, ni- a whole life sentence, mm-hmm. wasn't he, by... David, no, it wasn't yeah. Bunky, it was one of them. One, one of, of them. One of the people in one of the years. Yeah. One of the home secretaries. Yeah, one of the places. Yeah, give it, said he should never ever be released. He was too dangerous to come out. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, he, Je- Jez is still in jail. Cat- category A by the sounds yeah, of it. Yeah, I that didn't pass. Mm. Yeah, he lost that appeal. But that year that he did try to do that was the year they put that documentary out, which cast him in such a bad light. Yeah. Shows that he killed the dog and everything. Yeah, poor fucking dog. <laughs> And again, I just, yeah, I don't think he got a fair trial. I don't think yeah. he got a fair... Every- I think there's some really obvious piece of evidence that could either completely exonerate mm-hmm. him or completely convict him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where these pieces of evidence are. Yeah. So I did try to look up today, if you could, back in 1985, if you could check when somebody phoned somebody. And I don't know why they can't just check what time that phone call was put through. Yeah. From the Bamber house to Jeremy's house. Mm-hmm. Why can't they just check it? That would completely exonerate him. If they could say, yeah, that phone call went through at 3.36, mm-hmm. Jeremy was at home, he picked the phone up. Yeah. But if they go, yeah, someone phoned from White House Farm at 2 o'clock in the morning, they'll be, well, it was you, Jeremy, yeah. pretending to be your dad. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And I just, regardless of Julie Mugford and whatever she, whatever her motivation was and things like oh, that. Muggins. Yeah, I just, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a number of things like that. Yeah, it's just infuriating, isn't it? Just but just convicting somebody on the fact that you don't like him is not right. No, I mean, yeah, he he looked like he was playing up at the funeral and stuff like that. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Doesn't make you a murderer. He says on that documentary, <laughs> me and you watched. Yeah, I'm arrogant. Yeah, I'm this person that a bit of a yeah. show off. This that and the other doesn't mean I'm guilty. No. And as you say, the police has just looked at him and thought, yeah, you are guilty. Here you go. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. As soon as Julie said that and the, uh-huh. the uh, suppressor came to light. But um, I think the suppressor apparently had some paint flecks on it. Yes. And red paint flecks, which had, I think it had like 13 layers of paint from the old farmhouse Argar, the mantelpiece over uh-huh. the Argar. And there was a corresponding scrape in the paintwork that matched the paint fleck. And obviously, all the layers of paint, it's, yeah. it, it did match. So it looks like the silencer was at some point struck that wall. Mm-hmm. But that don't mean it happened during that night. No. Well, he, he was using it that day, the day of. Yeah, with the, sil- with the silencer and with yeah. the. Um, he went hunting. There was with a it. sight thing on it yeah. as well, like a sight piece. That telescopic. You, telescopic thing. sight, that's yeah. it. Yeah, so those all three were still yeah. out. Were out. Um, there's so much to this case though, Lauren, isn't there? There's oh, so much to unpick. Brilliant we could literally case. do like two or three part on it. It's such mm-hmm. a really good case. Wow. Really eh? is. Very good. So um so yeah, I think we're gonna sign off now. Sayonara. Yeah. I'd just like to thank everybody for listening, tuning in to our lovely podcast. I hope you're enjoying Bloody Britain. Bloody Britain. Um, thanks everybody um, who supports us over at Patreon. We do have a Patreon where we put some different episodes up and it's only £3 a month if you feel like exploring that. Um, if you want to reach out to us, we're on social media, Blue Murder Club, just pop it in anywhere we pop up. As we do Facebook, Insta, you do TikTok, don't you? TikTok, Twitter, tw- oh, it ain't Twitter anymore, X. X. <laughs> we're over on Patreon as well, so yeah. Yeah. Bit come, of everywhere. Yeah, come and see us, we're quite active over there. And um Yeah, so thank you for listening and have a lovely week. See you in two weeks.